Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. is brought to you by Heaven and Its Mysteries. Tonight, we'll read poems by John Keats, starting with one titled Sleep and Poetry. John Keats' poems are a major part of English Romantic poetry. They portray settings loaded with symbolism and sensuality and draw heavily on Greek and Roman myth, along with romanticized tales of chivalry. Keats died in 1821 at the young age of 25, having written the majority of his work in less than four years. In his lifetime, sales of Keats' three volumes of poetry probably amounted to only 200 copies. The compression of his poetic apprenticeship and maturity into so short a time is just one remarkable aspect of Keats's work. Keats was convinced that he had made no mark in his lifetime. Aware that he was dying, he wrote, I have left no immortal work behind me, nothing to make my friends proud of my memory, but I have loved the principle of beauty in all things, and if I had had time, I would have made myself remembered. Keats's ability and talent was acknowledged by several influential contemporary allies. His admirers praised him for having developed a style which was heavily loaded with sensualities, more gorgeous in its effects, more voluptuously alive than any poet who had come before him. While not appreciated during his lifetime, he has gone on to become one of the most loved of the Romantic poets, 
and has provided inspiration to many authors after him. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. What is more gentle than a wind in summer? What is more soothing than the pretty hummer that stays one moment in an open flower and buzzes cheerily from bower to bower? What is more tranquil than a musk rose blowing in a green island far from all men's knowing? more healthful than the leafiness of dales, more secret than a nest of nightingales, more serene than Cordelia's countenance, more full of visions than a high romance. What but thee sleep, soft closer of our eyes, low murmurer of tender lullabies, Light hoverer around our happy pillows, wreather of poppy buds and weeping willows, silent entangler of a beauty's tresses, most happy listener when the morning blesses thee for enlivening all the cheerful eyes that glance so brightly at the new sunrise. But what is higher beyond thought than thee? fresher than berries of a mountain tree, more strange, more beautiful, more smooth, more regal than wings of swans, than doves, than dim-seen eagle. What is it? And to what shall I compare it? It has a glory, and naught else can share it. The thought thereof is awful, sweet, and holy, chasing away all worldliness and folly, coming sometimes like fearful claps of thunder, or the low rumblings earth's regions under, and sometimes like a gentle whispering of all the secrets of some wondrous thing that breathes about us in the vacant air so that we look around with prying stare, perhaps to see shapes of light, aerial limbing, and catch soft floatings from a faint heard hymning, to see the laurel wreath on high suspended, that is to crown our name when life is ended. Sometimes it gives a glory to the voice, and from the heart upsprings Rejoice, rejoice. Sounds which will reach the framer of all things and die away in ardent mutterings. No one who once the glorious sun has seen and all the clouds 
and felt his bosom clean for his great maker's presence, but must know what tis I mean and feel his being glow. Therefore no insult will I give his spirit by telling what he sees from native merit. O posy, for thee I hold my pen, that am not yet a glorious denizen of thy wide heaven, should I rather kneel upon some mountain top until I feel a growing splendor round about me hung and echo back the voice of thine own tongue. O posy, for thee I grasp my pen, that am not yet a glorious denizen of thy wide heaven, yet to my ardent prayer yield from thy sanctuary some clean air, smoothed for intoxication by the breath of flowering bays, that I may die a death of luxury, and my young spirit follow the great morning sunbeams of Apollo, like a fresh sacrifice, or, if I can bear the overwhelming sweets, twill bring to me the fair visions of all places, a bowery nook will be Elysium, an eternal book whence I may copy many a lovely saying about the leaves and flowers, about the playing of nymphs in woods and fountains, and the shade keeping a silence round a sleeping maid, and many a verse from so strange influence that we must ever wonder how and whence it came. Also imaginings will hover round my fireside and haply there discover vistas of solemn beauty where I'd wander in happy silence like the clear meanderer through its lone vales and where I found a spot of awfuler shade or an enchanted grot or a green hill o'erspread with checkered dress of flowers and fearful from its loveliness write on my tablets all that was permitted all that was for our human senses fitted then the events of this wide world i'd seize like a strong giant and my spirit tease till at its shoulders it should proudly see wings to find out an immortality stop and consider life is but a day a fragile dewdrop on its perilous way from a tree's summit a poor indian sleep while his boat hastens to the monstrous steep of Mulmorency. why so sad a moan life is a rose's hope while yet unblown the reading of an ever-changing tale the light uplifting of a maiden's veil, a pigeon tumbling in clear summer air, a laughing schoolboy without grief or care, riding the springy branches of an elm. Oh, for ten years that I may overwhelm myself in posy, so I may do the deed that my own soul has to itself decreed. 
Then I will pass the countries that I see in long perspective and continually taste their pure fountains. First the realm I'll pass of Flora and old Pan, sleep in the grass, feed upon apples red and strawberries, and choose each pleasure that my fancy sees. Catch the white-handed nymphs in shady places to woo sweet kisses from averted faces. Play with their fingers, touch their white shoulders into a pretty shrinking with a bite as hard as lips can make it, till agreed a lovely tale of human life will read. And one will teach a tame dove how it best may fan the cool air gently o'er my rest. Another, bending o'er her nimble tread, will set a green robe floating round her head, and still will dance with ever-varied ease, smiling upon the flowers and the trees. Another will entice me on and on through almond blossoms and rich cinnamon, till in the bosom of a leafy world will rest in silence like two gems upcurled in the recesses of a pearly shell. And can I ever bid these joys farewell? Yes, I must pass them for a nobler life, where I may find the agonies, the strife of human hearts, for lo, I see afar, o'er sailing the blue cragginess, a car and steeds with streamy manes, the charioteer looks out upon the winds with glorious fear, and now the numerous tramplings quiver lightly along a huge cloud's ridge. And now, with sprightly wheel downward, come they into fresher skies, tipped round with silver from the sun's bright eyes. Still downward with capricious whirl they glide, and now I see them on a green hill's side, in breezy rest among the nodding stalks. The charioteer with wondrous gesture talks to the trees and mountains, and there soon appear shapes of delight, of mystery and fear. Passing along before a dusky space, made by some mighty oaks, as they would chase some ever-fleeting music, on they sweep. Lo, how they murmur, laugh, and smile, and weep, some with upholden hand and mouth severe, some with their faces muffled to the ear between their arms, some, clear in youthful bloom, go glad and smiling athwart the gloom, some looking back, and some with upward gaze, yes, Thousands in a thousand different ways flit onward, now a lovely wreath of girls dancing their sleek hair into tangled curls, and now broad wings 
most awfully intent, the driver of those steeds is forward bent and seems to listen, oh, that I might know all that he writes with such a hurrying glow. The visions all are fled, the car is fled into the light of heaven, and in their stead a sense of real things comes doubly strong, and, like a muddy stream, would bear along my soul to nothingness. But I will strive against all doubtings, and will keep alive the thought of that same chariot and the strange journey it went. Is there so small a range in the present strength of manhood that the high imagination cannot freely fly as she was wont of old? Prepare her steeds, paw up against the light, and do strange deeds upon the clouds. Has she not shown us all from the clear space of ether? to the small breath of new buds unfolding, from the meaning of Jove's large eyebrow to the tender greening of April meadows, here her altar shone, e'en in this isle, and who could paragon the fervid choir that lifted up a noise of harmony to where it I will poise its mighty self of convoluting sound, huge as a planet, and like that roll round, eternally around a dizzy void. I, in those days the muses were nigh cloyed with honors, nor had any other care than to sing out and soothe their wavy hair, could all this be forgotten? Yes, a schism nurtured by foppery and barbarism made great Apollo blush for this his land. Men were thought wise who could not understand his glories. With a puling infant's force, they swayed about upon a rocking horse and thought it Pegasus. Ah, Dismal souled, the winds of heaven blew, the ocean rolled its gathering waves, ye felt it not, the blue bared its eternal bosom, and the dew of summer nights collected, still to make the morning precious. Beauty was awake, why were ye not awake? But ye were dead to things ye not knew, were closely wed to musty laws lined out with wretched rule and compass vile, so that ye taught a school of dolts to smooth, inlay, and clip, and fit, till, like the certain wands of Jacob's wit, their verses tallied, easy was the task, a thousand handicraftsmen wore the mask of posy, ill-fated impious race that blasphemed the bright lyrist to his face and did not know it. No, they went about holding a poor, decrepit standard out marked with most flimsy mottos the name of one Boileau. 
O ye whose charge it is to hover round our pleasant hills, whose congregated majesty so fills my boundly reverence that I cannot trace your hallowed names in this unholy place, so near those common folk, did not their shames affright you? Did our old lamenting Thames delight you? Did ye never cluster round delicious Avon with a mournful sound and weep? Or did ye wholly bid adieu to regions where no more the laurel grew? Or did ye stay to give a welcoming to some lone spirits who could proudly sing their youth away and die? Twas even so. But let me think away those times of woe. Now, tis a fairer season. Ye have breathed rich benedictions o'er us. Ye have wreathed fresh garlands. For sweet music has been heard in many places. Some has been upstirred from out its crystal dwelling in a lake by a swan's ebon bill from a thick brake, nested and quiet in a valley mild, bubbles a pipe, fine sounds are floating wild about the earth, happy are ye and glad. These things are, doubtless, yet in truth we've had strange thunders from the potency of song, mingled indeed with what is sweet and strong from majesty. But in clear truth the themes are ugly clubs, the poet's polyphemes disturbing the grand sea. A drainless shower of light is posy. Tis the supreme of power. Tis might half slumbering on its own right arm the very archings of her eyelids charm a thousand willing agents to obey. And still she governs with the mildest sway, but strength alone, though of the muses born, is like a fallen angel, trees uptorn, darkness and worms and shrouds and sepulchres delight it, for it feeds upon the burrs and thorns of life. Forgetting the great end of poesy, that it should be a friend to soothe the cares and lift the thoughts of man, yet I rejoice a myrtle fairer than Aragorn and Paphos from the bitter weeds lifts its sweet head into the air and feeds a silent space with ever-sprouting green. All tenderest birds there find a pleasant screen, creep through the shade with jaunty fluttering, nibble the little cupped flowers and sing. Then let us clear away the choking thorns from round its gentle stem. Let the young fawns Enid, in after times, when we are flown, find a fresh sward beneath it, overgrown with simple flowers. Let there nothing be more boisterous 
than a lover's bended knee, not more ungentle than the placid look of one who leans upon a closed book, not more untranquil than the grassy slopes between two hills, all hail delightful hopes, as she was wont the imagination into most lovely labyrinths will be gone, and they shall be accounted poet kings who simply tell the most heart-easing things. Oh, may these joys be ripe before I die. Will not some say that I presumptuously have spoken? That from hastening disgrace, Twere better far to hide my foolish face, that whining boyhood should with reverence bow, ere the dread thunderbolt could reach. How, if I do hide myself, it sure shall be in the very fane the light of poesy. If I do fall, At least I will be laid beneath the silence of a poplar shade, and over me the grass shall be smooth-shaven, and there shall be a kind memorial graven. But off, despondence, miserable bane, they should not know thee who a thirst to gain a noble end, are thirsty every hour. What though I am not wealthy in the dower of spanning wisdom, though I do not know the shiftings of the mighty winds that blow hither and thither all the changing thoughts of man, though no great ministering reason sorts out the dark mysteries of human souls to clear conceiving. Yet there ever rolls a vast idea before me, and I glean therefrom my liberty. Thence too I've seen the end and aim of poesy. Tis clear as anything most true as that the year is made of the four seasons, manifest as a strong cross, some old cathedral's crest lifted to the white clouds. Therefore should I be but the essence of deformity, a coward, did my very eyelids wink at speaking out what I have dared to think. Ah, rather let me like a madman run over some precipice, let the hot sun melt my wings and drive me down convulsed and headlong. Stay, an inward frown of conscience bids me be more calm a while. An ocean dim, Sprinkled with many an isle, spreads awfully before me. How much toil, how many days, 
what desperate turmoil. Ere I can have explored its widenesses, ah, what a task, upon my bended knees, I could unsay those, no, impossible, impossible. For sweet relief I'll dwell on humbler thoughts, and let this strange essay, begun in gentleness, die so away. Even now, all tumult from my bosom fades, I turn full-hearted to the friendly aids that smooth the path of honor, brotherhood, and friendliness, the nurse of mutual good. The hearty grasp that sends a pleasant sonnet into the brain ere one can think upon it. The silence when some rhymes are coming out, and when they're come, the very pleasant route. The message certain to be done tomorrow. Tis perhaps as well that it should be to borrow some precious book from out its snug retreat, to cluster round it when we next shall meet. Scarce can I scribble on, for lovely airs are fluttering round the room like doves in pairs. Many delights of that glad day recalling, when first my senses caught their tender falling. And with these airs come forms of elegance, stooping their shoulders over a horse's prance, careless and grand, fingers soft and round, parting luxuriant curls, and the swift bound of Bacchus from his chariot, when his eye made Ariadne's cheek look blushingly, Thus I remember all the pleasant flow of words at opening a portfolio. Things such as these are ever harbingers to trains of peaceful images. The stirs of a swan's neck unseen among the rushes, a linnet starting all about the bushes, a butterfly with golden wings broad parted, nestling a rose, convulsed, as though it smarted, with over-pleasure, many, many more, might I indulge at large in all my store of luxuries, yet I must not forget sleep, quiet, with his poppy coronet, for what there may be worthy in these rhymes I partly owe to him, and thus the chimes of friendly voices had just given place to as sweet a silence when I began retrace the pleasant day upon a couch at ease. It was a poet's house, who keeps the keys of pleasure's temple. Round about were hung the glorious features of the bards who sung in other ages. Cold and sacred busts smiled at each other. 
Happy he who trusts to clear futurity his darling fame. Then there were fawns taking aim at swelling apples with a frisky leap and reaching fingers mid a luscious heap of vine leaves. Then there rose to view a fane of marble and there too to train of nymphs approaching fairly o'er the sward, one loveliest holding her white hand toward the dazzling sunrise. Two sisters, sweet bending their graceful figures till they meet over the trippings of a little child. And some are hearing eagerly the wild, thrilling liquidity of dewy piping. See, in another picture, nymphs are wiping cherishingly Diana's timorous limbs. A fold of lawny mantle dabbling swims at the bath's edge and keeps a gentle motion with the subsiding crystal as when ocean heaves calmly its broad swelling smoothness o'er its rocky marge and balances once more the patient weeds that now, unshent by foam, feel all about their undulating home. Sappho's meek head was there half smiling down at nothing, just as though the earnest frown of overthinking had that moment gone from off her brow and left her all alone. Great Alfred's too, with anxious, pitying eyes, as if he always listened to the sighs of the goaded world. By horrid sufferance, mightily forlorn. Most happy they, for over them was seen a free display of outspread wings, and from between them shone the face of posy. From off her throne she overlooked things that I scarce could tell. The very sense of where I was might well keep sleep aloof, but more than that there came thought after thought to nourish up the flame within my breast so that the morning light surprised me even from a sleepless night. And up I rose, refreshed and glad and gay, resolving to begin that very day these lines, and howsoever they be done, I leave them as a father does his son.